Good afternoon, or good morning, or whatever time of day it happens to be when you've downloaded this, which is Which Car Weekly, your podcast which looks back at all things automotive over the past week. My name is Daniel Gardner, and as is typical, I'm joined by some of the greatest minds in automotive journalism from all of our great titles at Bauer Media. And today, I'm very pleased that I have an old favourite of ours, Andy Enright, Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine. Thank you so much for being back once again, Andy. Hello, and I'm glad to be back. It's always so lovely to be here. Good. The expression on his face says something quite the opposite. But anyway, we'll move over to our other panellist today. Very, very happy making his debut on Witch Car Weekly, the fabulous Alex Inwood, Wheels Magazine editor, no less. Thank you, Dan. I love that you had to look at a piece of paper to remember my name then. But uh, <laughs> I've been listening to the job that you guys have been doing in the past couple of weeks, and uh, it's tremendous. So I'm... How dare you, Alex? How dare you reveal all of these secrets of mine that would otherwise go unnoticed because of the beauty of no vision? In fact, what I was doing was I was looking at the next thing I have to say uh, because I'm an absolute professional. Not that I'd just forgotten your name and your profession. Even though you've been working <laughs> Well, to look crazy. behind the curtain for me already because from the outside it's so seamless, but it's so different. Well, now you're on, so it's part of your responsibility <laughs> to maintain that seamlessness. Today, gentlemen, we are discussing many things. Could the UK's car industry follow Australia's lead into retirement? Alex is back from the desert with tales of topless English supercars, and Andy and I are back from an alpine blast in 100 grand coupes. More about that later, but before that, we're going to get straight into all the dirty stuff and all the hot news topics from the week. The first one being, of course, Andy, that the Honda plant in the UK is closing. Yes, Honda have been in Sweden, in Swindon for a few years now, and they've recently announced, February the 19th, that they're closing the plant with the loss of about 3,500 jobs. Um... They haven't directly linked that with Brexit, as has been the case. As it's been rumoured that that was going to happen, but come on, yeah, it's it's always going to be a part of that arrangement because the deal that the EU have with Japan now means that the EU can source cars from Japan cheaper than it can from Britain post Brexit. So that is a major, major problem. There you go. So is this is this the part of some kind of Kessler reaction, which is the demise ultimately of the entire UK manufacturing industry, for, for autom- automotive at least? Well, a lot of British journalists were looking on very, very smugly when the Australian car industry at the big one fairly recently, um, and they were citing the fact that Britain had gone to nothing and had rebuilt itself, and they're not looking quite so smug now. Um it's us that can be smug now, isn't it? Excellent. Yes, yes. Uh, well, looking from the outside in, this isn't a isolated incident either, unfortunately. So it follows news that Nissan is no longer going to build the X-Trail in the UK either. And, of course, there was the big news a few months ago, or maybe even a month ago, that JLR uh, was going to have to cut 4,500 jobs. So, unfortunately, it is looking like a bit of a trend. Do you think that people will now be looking to Australia to kind of predict the way that things will go in the UK? You know, I think already people are making associations and, and drawing parallels to what happened here. Do you think they'll just say, well, look at, look at what happened in Australia. Next, it will be supplies. That won't be enough to sustain all the other manufacturing that's still there. You know, we've got mini still. Um, do you think people will be using Australia as a case in point and saying that's going to happen? Absolutely, absolutely. What you said there, that word suppliers, is key. As soon as those second tier suppliers start to go down because they don't have the volume to support them, the industry's in real, real trouble. Um, and as Alex said, you know, we've had Nissan go, now Honda, JLR, cutting back, diesel engine supply is phasing down. It's, it's a real issue. 
So I suppose it's about establishing what is that tipping point, the bare minimum. How low can you run things? How lean can things get with manufacturing of cars in the UK before that actually is unsustainable? Yeah, yeah. And Brexit is having all sorts of other issues. Porsche sent letters to owners saying that everybody who has ordered a brand new Porsche in the UK after January the 19th has to sign a piece of paper saying that they can be charged up to a 10% surcharge on their cars in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Wow. So... They're going to try and claim that back off you. Wow, that's that's significant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people saying this is nothing, the, the Honda plant in the UK closing, saying it's nothing to do with Brexit. Everything is to do with Brexit at the moment. Anything that is happening in the UK, you can tie it back to that at some point. Yeah, and Swindon doesn't have a lot going for it, aside from Honda. You know, they've got the Oasis Leisure Centre, which is a fine place to, <laughs> to, to catch E. coli and a Veruca. But aside from that, I, geez, I wouldn't go there. It is interesting, though, Honda's... What is what Honda is blaming for this decision is unprecedented changes in the automotive industry, uh, and has pointed the finger directly at the rise of electric cars. So, the Swinburne factory makes the Honda Civic. They export about 150,000 Honda Civics a year from that factory, and decisions are being made right now about the next generation Civic for 2021, which apparently is going to be electrified. Uh, so that is at the core of this problem as well. But okay, so is this a bit like? Again, using Australia as an example, you know, one of the reasons for, cited for manufacturing ending in Australia is that no one bought those cars. Um, is that kind of what Honda's saying is in the electrification thing? or uh, Because are they kind of saying we don't make one or that England like to buy? I, I don't know. I'm trying to read between the lines here. Honda has an overcapacity issue. So they're also um, restructuring Turkey as well. Uh, so I'm assuming cut, you mean yeah. the country and not like the, the bird everyone eats at Christmas. <laughs> yes. Because that would be amazing. If Honda restructured a turkey, a I'd turkey. love to know. <laughs> I mean, uh, Asimo was really impressive, but a, a restructured turkey, I yeah, want to see that. No. Um, they're, they're cutting back on capacity so that they can work their assets a bit harder at the moment, Honda. And Britain is a casualty of that. Um, mm. Are you... Are you Fairly glad you've left Britain as a result of this. You read my mind, Andy, absolutely. You know, just when things happen... Like, I'm sorry if I'm going all sort of... If we have any UK listeners, I'm terribly sorry about this, but I feel very un-English all of a sudden. When I say all of a sudden, I mean over the last 12 years I've been in Australia. So it's not that sudden. But yeah, honestly, when you see these happenings and stuff going on in the UK, doesn't it ever make you just breathe a sigh of relief that you're, that you're here? I, I, yeah, I don't know. So, you know, I miss... Press cars being delivered to my door. That is a very spoiled... <laughs> oh, first world spoiled problems there. First world <laughs> journalist <laughs> problem. And I miss Yorkshire pudding, but, you know, after, it, after March... Do you mean to tell me you can't find a good Yorkshire pudding anywhere within the borders of Australia? I am a fundamentally lazy person, uh, so yes. Well, you just revealed that by <laughs> saying that you're disgusted that you have but, to go and get a press car. You know, after, after March, our British passport can, with some negotiation, I think it can get us into... Bhutan and, and Kyrgyzstan. Anything can get you about, in there, can't it? I think that's about it. I think it's, it's, people, it's harder to get out, isn't it, than get in? <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's, Brexit is a disaster. Um, I think even people who voted to leave now realise that it's a disaster. It really is. And the ramifications and the implications of that are going to go on, no doubt. We will be discussing that on Witch Car Weekly many, many weeks, months, and possibly years to come from now. And yes, just have to keep an ear to the ground with all industry topics. But... We have to move on to slightly brighter subjects. A little bit later, we'll be talking about Andy and my Alpine Blast in some very, very enjoyable little rear-wheel drive coupes. Um, but before that, I have to remind you that if you haven't already caught an episode of Which Car on television, yes, 
on television, Channel 10, 4pm on Sunday afternoons, we, you will get an opportunity to see our lovely, lovely faces doing all manner of automotive things. And it's basically all the stuff that we do on the day job, but in a more televisual format. Do catch it. You can uh, catch it on Channel 10, uh, on 10 Play rather, uh, something called On Demand, if you're too lazy or disorganised to see it as it airs. And, uh, and yes, we're up to episode seven, gentlemen. Can you believe that? Mm, it's flying by. Seven of 20. Seven, oh, yes. Seven of 20. Plus... Ooh, but I can't say any more about that right now. What we are going to say more about right now is something you have got up to recently, Alex. Last week we talked about how Andy was making us all green with envy because his new long-termer is by a certain British low-volume but very, very nice supercar manufacturer. And now you are rubbing salt into my wounds by going off and driving not one but two. Please tell us all about it. You're right. I was lucky enough to jump onto a bomber and fly to the States, uh, Phoenix, Arizona specifically, where McLaren was launching the new 600LT Spider and the 720S Spider, which is two topless versions of their most hardcore and expensive sports cars. That's mm, all I have to say about that. <laughs> And you could think that this is a, a great opportunity for McLaren to ruin these cars because uh, history shows that one of the best ways to ruin the performance of a very high-end car is to lop a great section out of its roof because you have to add weight back in to strengthen the car. Otherwise, it just turns into a big floppy mess. Indeed. The, <coughs> the Chrysler PT Cruiser convertible was oh, nowhere oh, near oh, as good oh, as the hardtop. Oh, what a, oh God, let's save that for our episode of the very, very worst cars ever made. But happily, McLaren has sidestepped this issue because it builds its cars around the rather geeky carbon tub, uh, which is quite cool to behold. And McLaren actually had some of the carbon tub, the exposed carbon tubs on display. And uh, they only weigh around 85 kilos, so if you're strong enough, you can pick them up over the top of your head, which is quite a cool thing to do. But the bonus is that uh, you can basically remove the roof and you don't have to put in any extra strengthening. In fact, the only change that McLaren made for the 600LT Spider was to retune the dampers slightly because it's about 50 kilograms heavier. And... uh, as Andy was uh, when he drove the 600LT coupe at the Hungora Ring, ooh, was that last year, towards the end of last yes, year, Andy? Yes, yeah. uh, you were blown away, and I have to say, I was kind of blown away by the 600LT as well. I think it's, I think it's the more modern McLaren to buy. Really? That, that's the one that I would have. Seriously, well, you, you guys have ranted about the 720S, but you're now saying the 600LT, effectively its baby sister, is, is the pick. That's right, uh, Mostly because, well, this is a personal thing, but it's got top exit exhausts and I just can't get over top exit exhausts. What, I, what I'm loving about this is that Alex is the first person, whenever I use any kind of innuendo, whether it be written or spoken, Alex is the first person to pick me up on it and laugh. <laughs> and what I love is that when now the tables are turned, everything he says sounds like an innuendo to me. Like when he, say, when he says a floppy mess and when he talks about <laughs> a carbon tub, you just it's like every word that's coming out of your mouth is a fabulous innuendo. I'm loving this. But please, sorry, please carry on. And the good thing about the <laughs> spider version it again. <laughs> uh, is that unlike the coupe, it has this little piece of glass just over your shoulder. So even if it's chucking down rain or if it's snowing, you can lower the little window and you are suddenly, you know, your head's only about a metre away from these top exit exhausts. And the good thing is that the 600LT actually sounds good, which is a eureka moment for a <laughs> McLaren. Come on. Because... For a long time, modern McLarens have been criticised for sounding pretty charmless and characterless. Very fast, but they don't have the, uh, you know, the theatre um, of a Ferrari or a Porsche. But, but come on, surely this is very subjective. Um, like, I, who's, saying that, who's saying that the previous incarnations sounded bad? Me. 
<laughs> and, and Andy, I think. And back me up on this one, mate. Um, I don't mind the way they sound at flat chat, but mm. at lower speeds, they can sound a little bit industrial. Yeah. Top exit, top exit exhausts. How are they legal? I don't understand this. I've always looked at you know how like side exit exhausts are not are not legal. What's the difference? It's just yeah. it's coming out of a bit that isn't the very like lowest edge of the tail end. I'm just imagining someone like with long flowing locks putting the window down and setting fire to the hair like Michael Jackson. <laughs> someone someone like a Dave Morley, for example, just <laughs> a luxuriant greasy mop. And it does Dave do- Morley, obviously one of our uh, most esteemed writers from Motor Magazine. No doubt he will make an appearance on Which Car Weekly at some point. Yes. And there is a real risk of that, isn't there? Because uh, these exhausts do shoot flames. Oh. They had to uh, coat the spoiler on the car in a ceramic uh, finish so oh. it didn't melt it to bits. This is just all too much for me, I'm afraid. But that, that's Australian, isn't it? You could just put some snags on the spoiler <laughs> and just light them up. Go right. to YouTube. There are clips of people doing that with their Aventadors, shooting flames. But before we move on, one quick thing about Arizona, Phoenix, yeah. yes, please. where this car was launched. Two things, actually. Uh, we got to drive the car at a little circuit which backed onto a U.S. Air Force base. Oh, super which was cool. super cool because as we had, we're belting around this little circuit, we had, um, yeah, military planes doing oh. flybys and scorching over the head. No and way. Did you want to pull your top off and have a game of volleyball? <laughs> I whipped out or... my aviator and my mirror aviators uh, quite <laughs> Did you? Quickly. That's the one I was going to go for. Did you ride a mid-80s motorbike without a helmet and your aviators on? At, like... A GPZ-900R. No, uh, okay, yes. Okay, thank you. Someone someone picked up. Yes. Good. We, have, we have a dork in our midst. <laughs> yes. Well, I think we've got three. Three in our midst. And the other thing that I learned as well is that uh, Arizona, it's the desert. So I didn't pack a jumper. I thought it'd be quite warm over there. But it was freezing. It was really cold. But the desert is full of cacti. And cacti, apparently, Dan, this is for you. Okay, great. Uh, please, the, please put in some kind of prick reference. The central trunk takes 100 years uh, to grow. Why did you look at my groin <laughs> when you said that? 100 years to grow. Uh, and then they sprout off an arm every 75 years or so after that. So if you ever see a cacti and it's big and it has many arms, it's very old. I've actually seen, I can go one further. I've, be, I've been to Mexico and I've seen cacti that are so old they've gone woody. <laughs> I just watch YouTube videos of rednecks shooting them with shotguns and the cactus falls down and kills them. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that is the, what's it called? The Darwin Awards. I think that's yeah. exactly what that is. If you're stupid enough to stand too close to a cacti, of which you're directly compromising the structural integrity, you've kind of, kind of got to expect to get crushed at some point by something big and spiky. Yeah. Um, okay, so the pick for you was definitely the 600LT of all the, of the topless ones. But my question to you then is, of all the McLarens you've driven, which as Wheels Magazine editor, there are many. It is a perk. Is there another you would prefer, you would like to see made into a convertible as well? Because the typical life cycle, McLaren do this, is they'll launch their new model and then some months down the, la- the line, with, even though they've denied it many, many times, they'll say, we're not going to do a convertible version, and then they do. Mm. Um, so it's just assumed. If there is one that had, doesn't have its top chopped off yet, would you like to see one in particular? I think you can probably guess what I'm alluding to here. Are you alluding to the McLaren Senna? I might be. I think that would be very cool. Um, I have been lucky enough to drive a Senna. I drove it at Estoril last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it blew me away. Um, the performance, especially the braking performance of that car was was quite spectacular. Uh, so if you were to chop the, the roof off and add a bit more drama and sensory experience to driving that hard, uh, I think that would be that would be a lot of fun. But more than new convertible... I'm more excited about a new long tail. 
Uh, McLaren's mm. wheeling out the long tail name. Uh, it's, it's up to number five now. Uh, so I think number six should be the 720S or perhaps a 750S or something like that. That will long tail. That has to happen. But mm. not only will it happen, it's safe to assume that that will turn what is already an absolutely incendiary mm. car into basically thermonuclear territory, won't it? It really will, and it rises, raises an ugly issue that's perhaps for another podcast, is are performance cars becoming too fast? Sounds silly to even say aloud, but... You know, is it getting to a point now where you can't use the performance of these cars anywhere but a circuit? Right. I totally understand and admire and respect your your the question, Alex. But the answer is no, definitely not. They're <laughs> definitely not getting too fast. To the point where I drove the new Focus, the the absolute entry level Bogo Ford Focus trend, and it's too fast. Like it's <laughs> like you've got entry level Focuses, right, which are now like becoming so fast. That they are, I think they're too much for people who want an entry level sensible Ford Focus. But that's great. That's awesome that we live in a world where even sensible hatchbacks are really quick now. But I think the 600 LT kind of hits a sweet spot in, in the <clears throat> that the performance feels manageable and balanced. Whereas in the 720, it, it never feels anything less than absolutely feral. You know, if you catch Witch Car TV this Sunday, You'll see me driving it at night on the Great Ocean Road. And I'm trying to look as if I'm having a good time. They've got this big light <laughs> shone in my face. I look like Casper the Friendly Ghost. But I'm actually <laughs> terrified. It's, uh, I'm clinging on. It's a bit like sex, really. You know what I mean? Is that, you know, you're having a lovely time, but you never look like it, do you? Yeah, you kind of either look very scared or exhausted. One or the other. You never look like you're actually having a nice time. If you want to see Andy's sex face, then tune into Witchcard TV 4pm Sunday afternoon on Channel 10. I can't believe I've just plugged it like that. But it is actually extremely frustrating because Andy and I both drove the Ferrari A12 Superfast, which is the pinnacle of Ferrari's oh, road going around. Rub it in, boys. Yeah. Oh, we do sound a bit wanky when we say things <laughs> like that, don't we? But uh, we have to do it. It's in consumer advice. Uh, it's in the, the interest of the reader. And that car was frustrating 99% of the time to drive because you only... It felt like you were holding the car back. It wanted to go uh, at a million miles an hour all the time and only really came alive when you were really driving it hard. And it made the rest of the experience, at some, you know, it tarnished it a little bit. You were forever chasing those magics of mo- magic Bit moments. Bit it off and give us a focus trend. Uh, yeah. That's what I say. Final question with this then, with reference to convertible versions of already very, very good cars. I'm going to try and make a hypocrite out of both of you. Mm. Given the choice between the Porsche Boxster and the Porsche Cayman, what would you have? I'd have the Cayman. I'd have the Cayman. No, you see, you're both wrong. You'd have to have the Boxster, given what you've just said about how convertible versions of coupes can be just as good. If they have carbon tubs, though. Oh, nice retort, Alex. Thank you, Dan. And also, because you uh, don't have the benefit of seeing me in vision, I'm uh, currently red like a little lollipop, having <laughs> stood on the top of a mountain for two days, so there is no way I would have the open-top Boxster. And that leads very nicely into a chat about exactly why you are that red. Now, just at a, an ungodly hour last night, Andy and I arrived back in our fabulous town, which is Melbourne, having spent a few days away in, I think, I don't know, I think it probably is one of my favourite, if not my favourite of all Australian natural spectacular landscapes. It was, of course, the great alpine uh, road, which which we were negotiating, um, and we were doing it in two cars that I think you probably might not necessarily think as obvious rivals. What were they, Andy? Um, we were testing a 100 grand ish coupes, and we had the Alpine A110 and the BMW M2 Competition. And 
without issuing too much in the way of spoilers, they're both absolutely fantastic cars, right at the top of their class. Okay. Um, the weather conditions were great. The roads were great. So, and while we're on the subject of you know introductions, yes, they're around about the same price. They're both rear-wheel drive. Off the top of my head, that's where the similarities finish, pretty much, isn't it? Yes, they are Beyond so that, different. They are drive. very, very different. So it was a really interesting. I went into this not knowing what to expect at all. Well, at least. I half didn't know what to expect because the M2 has been around for a little while now. It gets resoundingly good reviews from pretty much everyone. The one that we took along was the relative new edition. So it was the competition. So the M2 has now had an upgrade. It gets the M3, M4 engine. So a significant amount more power, an extra turbo. Um, but we know what that car's all about, don't we? It's a real-wheel yeah, drive, they, M-powered BMW. But they finessed it a little bit, haven't they? The old car could sometimes feel a little bit of a hot rod. Um, and this one, they've they've just improved the tactility of the car in, in all the things that matter to a keen driver. So we know what to expect from it, but it is a significantly improved model, for sure. But it's rival. Now, that's the one that I was really, really keen to focus on, because the, the Alpine, and we can come back to my pronunciation a little bit later, the Alpine A110 is a mid-engine car. It's only got four cylinders versus the six cylinders of the BMW, um, and therefore the weight distribution is completely different. It's very, very light, 1,100 kilos. It is fearsomely impractical in many ways. Um, I really came into this not knowing what to expect at all. I, it could either be the absolute standout, or it could be, I don't know, dare I say it, with the hype and all of the anticipation surrounding it, I thought it might have been a bit disappointing, actually. But was it? No, no, it's, it, it's, it's not. It's a magical, magical thing, the Alpine A110. It's just such a beautiful car to drive along a challenging road. It just breathes with the road. It flows because it's so light. Everything is bird-like in the car. It's got these thin anti-roll bars. It's got springs that look like they've come off a 125 motocross bike. <laughs> it's got the the back tyres on it are smaller than the... um. The M2's fronts. It's, yeah, right. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's all super, super light. It's that virtuous circle that engineers talk about. And I followed you up the road, Dan, and you were going pretty hard in, in the Alpine. But the Alpine uh, looked... How could you see? I, I, I mean, I, oh, I see what you mean. Sorry. I, I, I thought you meant I was really enjoying myself. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yes, okay. But, but uh, the, yeah. the car was just gliding, and it looked to be floating around corners. I was I was in the M2 behind you, and the car was just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was working really hard, and the car was working really hard. And the Alpine is that whole mm, it's one of work the smarter things rather than about harder. That car that it's sort of gone against the uh, the trend of making performance cars really stiff and firm, and and have really large alloys with side uh, with small profile tyres. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Alpine's actually quite softly sprung, so it rolls a lot. It moves around uh, the way that you said it kind of floats from corner to corner. Uh, you actually have to manage the weight transfer in the car, and that becomes part of the driving experience. And and what enhances the driving experience, I think. Are we going to see then perhaps, is the Alpine setting a trend of of high-performance sports cars that arguably was returned to by the MX-5 when it went back to lightweight, you know, tried to get the weight around about 1,000 kilos, went very small and diminutive and, and showed what you can do with absolutely a, a, um, adhering to the mantra which less is more. Um, in an era where we just find supercars and even sort of everyday executive sedans getting so powerful and they have the electronics and four-wheel drive systems in them to, to rein all that in, are we perhaps seeing a return to the, to the purest, the minimalist days, which show just how much you can get done with less? Mm, I, I hope so. 
Uh, that would be great. An interesting factoid that came out of the McLaren launch was that McLaren's engineers think that 100 kilos of weight is uh, equivalent to 60 PS uh, or a 5% loss in grip. Uh, So they've actually been able to put a number on how much that extra weight adds. So if you were to take that away, you're getting a massive performance gain. So what you're saying is go to the gym. Because if you can just remove a a few kilos off of your own buttocks or otherwise... (laughs) then you're effectively enhancing the performance of your car. Yeah, there, there are costs, though, because... Well, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> have you seen a gym membership? That's ridiculous. No, the, the Alpine uh, doesn't have side airbags, and they've cited the reason for that as weight. They wanted to cut the weight out of the vehicle. And as a result of that, they can... You get killed every time yeah, you crash it. Well, there is that. It's a, it's a minor aside. But <laughs> because it doesn't have side airbags, it's been decreed that they can only bring 100 cars into the country under a voluntary agreement with the FCAI. Um, so it's never going to be a big seller. It's always going to be a niche player. And I think we've we got to take that into our verdict, don't we? Absolutely. And also what that does is it reveals exactly the purpose of that car. It's never going to be a cash car. It's never going to be a volume seller. It's never going to earn Renault, of course, which owns Alpine, a lot of cash. So doesn't that reveal what its true job is? Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a halo model. Um, but to me, it feels less like a halo Renault and more like a diffusion line McLaren. It's it's that special to drive. That's a really nice way. It's really cool. Absolutely. You do, you get some of that. Yeah, you do get the the sense of occasion that you're getting into a mid-engine car for about a quarter of the price that an entry-level McLaren is. Yes, people will look at that car and look at the pricing thinking, you know, why should I pay 100 grand for a little car that's a 1.8 litre four? You know, how is this markedly different than a Mazda mx5 but it is such an occasion it is such a special car so the question is then given the environment which was the great alpine road i think probably one of the best driving roads in australia i'll stop rubbing it in i haven't driven it yet i uh, thought you had isn't that no no you i haven't the, isn't that when you took the w1 where was that oh we drove a tiny piece of it I but see. i've seen beautiful pictures of uh of really expensive cars being parked atop certain parts of it where you can see the road dive down into valleys and it was spectacular ah, i need Look, to do it if anyone's thinking of going and driving the great alpine road today um just hold fire because we discovered something that we weren't expecting, uh, and that is that they've had real problems with the bitumen on the road. It was resurfaced recently, and there's actually a guy who was talking to us on the mountain. There's a, a statewide problem with bitumen that it's melting in, in unexpected conditions. The the Hume Highway apparently melted earlier this year from ruining their cars and tyres, and the Great Alpine Road is doing the same. So what they've done is they've gone up there with a great w- a wheelbarrow full of gravel, and they've just thrown it on the road to try and absorb some of the melting bitumen. But what that means is in the places it hasn't absorbed it is you're basically confronted at, at the speed of about a billion kilometers an hour of just an ice-like surface of roller-bearing gravel. Yeah, that's that's a real um, baptism into the limit handling of the vehicles, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think I'm st- uh, my undies are going to have to soak for a fair while to, to remove memories. I'm saying memories, nothing else, of that incident. Yes, it was possibly it? one of the most chilling moments in recent memory. For there me. were a few bikers at the top looking very, very grey. Yeah. So if you're thinking of heading out to what is arguably one of my favourite roads, just give it a little while. Maybe wait until they've gone up there and had a bit of a sweep around. Just to finish, gentlemen, we're nearly out of time, but I would like to stay on the subject of Alpine for a moment because every time I've been mentioning this vehicle to people, people, when I say people, I mean, you know, other annoying motor journalists and people who like cars. Every time I say the name Alpine, 
more often than not, someone will jump in with a very smug look on their face and correct me in the same way that when people, you talk about Frankenstein, they go, oh, you do know that Frankenstein was the maker, not the actual monster. It's that kind of mentality that when people say, oh, I'm sorry, Dan, you do know it's Alpine, don't you? Is it Alpine or is it Alpine? It's Alpine. It's Alpine, Dan. It isn't, and I shall explain why. Okay. Right. <laughs> Actually, you both might be allowed to say Alpine, but I'm about to un- unpick your theory on this. It's all about consistency, and as journalists, we have to be consistent. We do. You, Andy, say Porsche, don't you? Yes. As do you. I didn't and... say Porsche. I said Porsche, like most Australians. Yes. Until I was accosted by the head of the GT program from Porsche, uh, and picked me up on it and said, it is Porsche, because yes. Mr. Porsche himself passed that down, and I thought, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. I understand that, but if you're going to pronounce every manufacturer's name as the manufacturer intended in their native tongue, then you have to do that with everyone, which means you have to say Volkswagen, and you'll have to say BMW, and you'll have to say all these stupid things like Michelin tyres and Weber carburetors, which sound stupid and pretentious. I so well, I great. So you're sticking with Alpine then, are you, Dan? I'm sticking with Alpine because I say Volkswagen, I say BMW, and I say Porsche. But did you know... I'm being consistent. You are going to get a very stinky email from Renault. Yes, I know. And I can't <laughs> wait. I'm just trying to be consistent. And look, it's, other, other examples I think of is that if, if manufacturers and PRs want us to say these things the way they want, then you just have to spell them right. It's spelt the same way as Alpine stereos. It's spelt the same way as the Great Alpine Road. So we just have to pronounce it the same. I'm what? not, okay. go- I'm not right. going around in a Pugat or a Chevrolet any day soon. Okay. All right. One more example then. Uh, KTM make a car. What's it called? Crossbow. Crossbow. No, it's called an Expo. Because that's how they've spelt it. Look at the. They haven't used the. Cro- the our good Lord Jesus Christ was not crucified on an X, was he? It was on a cross because it's a vertical and a horizontal. All right, a cross is a is a vertical and horizontal. X is a diagonal diagonal. So they spelt it wrong. It's a all bad I, play on words. Dan. All I'm doing, all I'm doing, is just being a consistent journalist. If you wanted me to say consistently your wrong journalist, guys, <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted to get into a big argument. My consistency it. is much like Yorkshire pudding, gentlemen. I would love to go on. Actually, I wouldn't. That's a lie. I'm taking a really opportune moment to shut you both up and say that is all the time we have for for this week's Witch Car Weekly. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, there are our previous episodes up online, ready to download. And if you want to get in touch with us please do our social media pages are all out there and of course you can get in touch via the website whichcar.com.au and until next time thank you very much for taking time to listen to us we've been Witchcar Weekly and I've been Daniel Gardner <laughs>